Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 4. I see I'm going to have to do a little work on you guys. You have let the weather get to you. Amen. Y'all okay out there? Just because it's rainy and nasty on the outside doesn't mean it's got to be that way on the inside. Sometimes you just got to tell your your spirit to rule over your flesh. Amen. You know, in the last days, what we need more than anything else is men and women that are going to be led by the Spirit of God. And you're going to have plenty of opportunities to pass up the ruling and the reigning of the flesh. You're going to have plenty of opportunities where your flesh is going to want to talk to you, speak to you, take the lead, be in charge. Come on. And um, more and more we are seeing the inability of men and women to take charge and control over their flesh. We're seeing more and more how this is incapacitating the church. It is limiting our influence and it's restricting our access into the things of the spirit. Let me give you, let me start you off somewhere else actually. Go with me to Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. I believe God wants to do something this morning. I believe he wants to say something this morning. And those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Ephesians chapter 6. And um, start with verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren. So who are we talking to? Finally, my brethren, who are we talking to? Okay. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Be strong where? In the Lord. Not being strong in our education. Not being strong in our abilities. Not being strong in our accomplishments. Not being strong in our accolades. Being strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That you may be able to stand against or withstand. Our fight in the kingdom of God is not for victory, it is from victory. What we mean by that is is that our battle and our fight is not designed to try to accomplish victory for the kingdom of God. That victory has already taken place. That victory took place once and for all on the cross when Jesus shed his blood. He went down to hell for three days took back the keys to the kingdom, uh, 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 took back the keys of the hell, death, sickness, disease. 
He triumphed over all of it. Amen? Rose again after three days. And you and I now walk in that victory and our fight, our work, our efforts are not to try to redo what Jesus has already done. It's to fight from the position that he's already placed you and I in. But that doesn't mean that there isn't anything still trying to overcome. That there still isn't darkness trying to uh, bring, just like this says, the wiles of the devil. How many of you know he's still active? He's still working. He's still misleading. He's still deceiving. We're still seeing his brokenness, his darkness, uh, the, the efforts of the enemy. We're still seeing it in the earth today. And you and I are not trying to fight to overcome him. We are fighting to withstand him. We are fighting to withstand the devil, stand against and push back darkness and push back the oppressions of the enemy. How do we do that? By being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I've watched the church for some time now doing the best it can in the natural, doing the best it can in its own abilities, doing and the, 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 the misleading, the deception in that is you and I are creative enough. We are beings that were created in the image of God. You and I just mere in the natural can seem like we're performing accomplishments when at the end of the day, we're not making efforts and strides for the kingdom as we ought to be. And we've been measuring the success of the church off of the wrong measurements. We've been using the wrong criteria, if you will. Reminds me of King Saul in contrast to King David. King Saul to man looked like he measured up, right? He came from the right family. He came from a wealthy family. He came from the right tribe. He looked the part even on the outside. Uh, he uh, He was head and shoulders above everybody. Looked like he had it all together, but at the end of the day, he had a submission issue. At the end of the day, he had a problem putting his flesh under. At the end of the day, he had a problem with a flesh that was in control rather than being submitted to God. And you know this as well as I do. You can't remain in authority if we refuse to remain under authority. Where King David turned the tide, flipped the script, was he was a man after God's own heart. That didn't mean he was perfect. In fact, he blew it so big, so badly, that most of us would have probably written him off and ever having influence in our life after what he did. But it meant that he had a heart that went after God, that even when he did miss it, and even when he did blow it, he repented. He got it right before the Lord, was quick to repent, quick to come back. King Saul, on the other hand, was not. King Saul was more interested in pleasing man than pleasing God. And so we understand that you and I, the the fight that we have, the battle that we have, the the efforts uh, of the kingdom of God in these last days are not going to be those of trying to overthrow or tear down darkness in the sense that, uh, you know, many times we think of it this way. 
the devil is the opposite of God. And that is not a true statement. The devil's not even close. If I if I ask most people, uh, you know, uh, uh, just even most people in churches, who would be the opposite of God or who would be the opposite of the devil? They would name one or the other. They're not even close. The opposite of the devil is Michael, the archangel, a created being, given power and given authority. The devil is not as powerful as you and I try to make him out to be. He's not, he's not as destructive as you and I, but it's people submitted to the manipulation and to the deception and to the destructive thinking that the enemy brings in. And I remind you in Genesis chapter three, God didn't need to do anything to deliver Adam and Eve from the wiles of the devil. Their fight was to what? Withstand. Withstand the devil. Withstand the deception. Withstand the lies. Withstand the temptation. And we need a church in these last days that has a capacity to withstand the opposition that comes against the kingdom of God. Not religious activity. You're not going to withstand just by attending church. You will not withstand by having a Bible reading plan every day. These things will assist you in your withstanding. These things will prepare you. But at the end of the day, we have to understand that we have a kingdom mission and we are about a kingdom effort. And there are wiles of the devil. There are principalities and powers in spiritual places. He goes on to say this. Be strong in the Lord, power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against. Verse 17 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, deceptions that people in the body of Christ are falling for today is we have found ourselves warring against flesh and blood. And we're wasting our energy and our efforts in the wrong capacity. Wasting our energy and our efforts in the wrong arena. Wasting our energy and our efforts in the wrong place where we should be uh, well-rested and sustained. We're finding ourselves exhausted and drained because we're warring against flesh and blood and we cannot withstand an enemy in the spirit if we're draining ourselves in the natural. You have... You have no resource and no sustenance left to fight off the devil because all of our energy is being exerted on flesh and blood issues. Flesh and blood challenges. No, we're going to have to start to see beyond into a spirit capacity of what you and I are really here to do. He says, put on the whole armor of God so that you can withstand the wiles of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now that is not there to scare you. 
That is, when we talk about the spirit realm or when we talk about uh, what we are up against or what we are challenging or what we are warring against in a spiritual capacity, we, uh, again, I go back to the, the, the fact that the devil is not as strong as the church has made him out to be. Does he have power? Sure. He doesn't have authority. You know the difference, right? A police officer standing in the middle of the road does not have the power to stop a moving vehicle. Right? Like in his own ability, he's not strong enough to stop a moving vehicle. But why does that vehicle stop? Because he has the authority. He has a badge on his chest that says, I've been authorized. Well, when you operate in power without authority, that's called illegal. So yeah, the devil's exercising illegal power in the earth. We're seeing uh, those efforts. We're seeing the fruit of those efforts and the, the those that yield to that. But you and I have something greater than just power. We have authority. We've been authorized. We've been sent. We've been commissioned. We've been assigned by the one in authority. Jesus said, I have all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. Now you go, therefore. You go, therefore. There is, there's never been a challenge in the earth that God has ever met without having a solution for. There's never been an issue in the earth that you and I could ever come across that is beyond us. But I feel like for the most part, and again, I'm not just talking about our church, I'm talking about capital C, the church in general. We live with this idea and this mentality we're in over our head. We live with this feeling consistently, it's bigger, it's greater. How can, we, we, have, we have more questions uh, than, than providing solutions to questions. How can we change that? How can we disrupt this? How can we demonstrate that? How can we overcome this? I, I'm just, you know, if I could just vent a little bit, be a little vulnerable, just getting a little tired of the church feeling like it's on the losing end all the time. I want to remind you, we are a church that is on the offensive, not the defensive. The church is never losing. I said the church is never losing. We are never at a loss. We're never deficient. We're never at a deficit. We're never behind. It's not like all of a sudden the church is going to make this great comeback in the last corner, in, in the last few seconds. Did y'all see some of those comebacks yesterday? Yeah, and if that was your team, I had a team that was playing, TCU. They're from Fort Worth, Texas. That's where I'm from. They were playing uh, Baylor. And in those last seconds, they had like a minute and 11 seconds to drive down. And, and, you know, and they only needed a field goal. And the coach got a little too crazy. They're running the field goal unit on the field with six seconds left in the game. Who does that? You had plenty of downs. They wasted like two. They wasted like three downs just to get to that point. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm behind. I'm feeling like, and I'm not on the field, right? I'm, I'm not literally losing. 
amazing how when we start rooting for teams, we act like, yeah, man, it was a tough one. Like, we're going to go to the interview room afterwards. The media's going to start asking, yeah, you know, what a tough day out there. Really proud of the boys. Really pulled it together. Did a great job. You know, couldn't be more proud of this team. They don't even know who you are. It's silly how we root for teams sometimes. But I, I literally, I'm sitting on the edge of my couch watching this game. Like, are you serious? Are you serious right now? We really, the church should never feel like we're in that position. This is a blowout, guys. I said it's a blowout. Later on in the day, the Texas Longhorns were playing. And I said, let me check out that game. It was 55 to 17. I turned it off. I was like, I know how this one ends. How would we act if we knew how it ends? Come on, does anybody in this room know how it ends? Does anybody know how this story ends? Has anybody read the back of the book? We win. But where the enemy is defeating us is not in the outcome, but it's in the journey. It's in the process of arriving to that place. And if he can make you feel like you're losing, you will live less than what he's called you to do. And you won't push back on the darkness. You'll settle for darkness. We'll settle for living in darkness when we know the ultimate victory. The church should never feel like it's at a deficit. Behind. Hopefully we can make up ground in the second half. That's not the position of the church. That's not the position of the church. But where are we fighting these things? He says against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. There's another passage where Paul says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not carnal. That means they're not natural. It's time for us to get back to the weapons of warfare that you and I were designed to fight with. We're fighting a natural battle with natural weapons and wonder why we feel like we're losing. Wonder why we feel like we're always playing catch up. Wonder why we feel like we're at a loss and at a deficit. We wonder why. Maybe if we put more focus where God has put focus, put more focus where Paul put more focus, put more focus where you and I were designed to fight the battle. So back over to Luke chapter 4. going somewhere today, and I pray that you'll receive it. I pray that you'll be stirred. But we're going to have to start placing emphasis where God places emphasis. Let me say it this way. We're going to have to start honoring what God honors. We're going to have to start valuing what God values. Y'all remember that conversation that Jesus had with Peter? He asked his disciples, he said, who do men say that I am? And Peter, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, said, I believe you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You remember what Jesus responded? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. If you go on down a few more verses, Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter, not so led by the 
spirit anymore, begins to get led by the flesh and blood. Jesus begins pronouncing and uh, communicating what's going to happen to him, the destruction that is coming up. Just like I said, just because we have overcome doesn't mean that there aren't still going to be pressures and challenges that come against us. And Jesus, or, or, or as Jesus is saying this, Peter interrupts him, stops him, and says, may it never be. Basically saying, I'll personally make sure that never happens to you. And Jesus responds and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. See, when we yield to flesh and blood mentalities, when we yield to natural resources, we're actually more in partnership with the devil than we are with God. We are actually more aligned with what the enemy wants than what God wants. And Jesus responds and he says, Peter, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. One translation uh, reads something like, uh, you have your interests more on the things of man than you do the things of God. You and I are as successful in life as we are connected to the heart of the Father. You and I will overcome the level of our overcoming and the level of our winning and the level of our uh, mission being accomplished is directly tied to the uh, level that we can keep in line with the heart and the values and the intentions of the Father. But when this becomes disrupted and we live to our own selves, we live to our own ideas, we start including natural measures. This same Peter later on in a garden chops off a guy's ear with the sword. I mean, he told Jesus, I'll make sure it doesn't happen. And apparently he was willing to make it happen, wasn't he? Did exactly what Jesus had just said. You don't have your mind set on the things of God, you have your mind set on the things of man, and he acted that out, behaved in that manner. We're going to have to become interested in the things God, or God is interested in. We're going to have to value the things that God values. We're going to have to honor the things that God honors, or we'll continually have this overwhelming feeling that we're behind. We're underneath. We're submitted to rather than ruling over. We're deficient. You know, it's a weird statement to make, but there's literally nothing else that God needs to do in the earth to get us to victory. There's not one more thing. In fact, the Bible tells us he's seated. It tells us that Jesus ascended and he what? Sat down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is doing more sitting down than most believers are doing waging war. He's doing this from a seated position. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus, and this is the key, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone say that with me. Say, being filled 
with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is Jesus before he begins his ministry, before he's healed anybody, before he's broken bread, before he's walked on water, before he's opened blind eyes and deaf ears, before he's cast out demons, before he's preached a message with authority and with power, before he's done any of that, this is Jesus filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. There's three things every believer needs. Every believer. It's not optional. Every believer needs one, to be born of the Spirit. Because what we're born into in the natural isn't good enough. What we're born into in the natural is destroying our lives. What we're born in the natural is the very thing that God came to to, uh, help us and allow us to overcome and defeat. There is nothing in the natural for you and I that is allowing us or moving us toward our calling and our purpose. We got to be born of the Spirit. Paul said that the, the, the natural man, the fleshly man, he must die, and the new spirit, the new man, must be made alive in Christ. Behold, all things have passed away. All things have become, the old things have passed away, and all things are made new. Number one, we must be born of the Spirit. Number two, we must be filled with the Spirit. We must be filled with the Spirit. And number three, we must be led by the Spirit. Must be born of the Spirit. Must be filled with the Spirit. Must be led by the Spirit. But in a day and in a culture that has lowered the value for the Holy Spirit, almost demeans the Holy Spirit, makes fun of or mocks the Holy Spirit, ignores the Holy Spirit. It's no wonder that we see the deficiency that we see, the lack of answers coming from the church. And it's not in better strategies. It's not in how can we get more people in the seats. It's how can we get the Spirit in more people. And we've driven out the one thing that the church needed. The church bought the lie. We were sold a bill of goods that nobody would come if we operated in things of the Spirit. And wouldn't that be the very tactic that the enemy would want to use? Because he knows that when you are born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, you're unstoppable. It's no wonder he'll allow you to go to church. He'll allow you to read your Bible. He'll allow you. He'll allow you to go to church as long as the Spirit doesn't move. He'll he'll allow you to read the Bible and be confused, more confused than when you started. Because you won't draw on the Holy Spirit who is the revealer of truth. Yeah, he loves when you read your Bible without partnering with the Holy Spirit. He loves when you read your Bible just to check off a box. 
He loves when you read your Bible just to, as a last minute resort to go get a scripture for a problem you're having. He loves that stuff because the Holy Spirit's not involved in the process at all. He loves worship where the Holy Spirit doesn't move and isn't allowed to move. He loves it. It's called entertainment and performance. He loves it. He loves full buildings. Because the more people that end up in a building, the more scared the pastors get to move and operate with the Holy Spirit. Come on, I'm preaching way better than you're shouting right now. We can, uh, we can allow tongues and interpretation in a room of 50, but then we get 500, 1,000, 10,000, all of a sudden we can't operate in those things anymore? Yeah, he loves this stuff. And the church bought it, hook, line, and sinker. Every method of the last 20 years that the, that the church was striving so hard after. You go back to every single measure, go, uh, every single measure and every single method. The Holy Spirit's not a part of any of it. He's not. We've spent fortunes on leadership meetings and we've spent fortunes on conferences and, and resources and books on how to grow and how to keep. And, and I'm not saying those things are wrong, but we've removed the one element that the church was never designed to operate without. Jesus, filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. And if you go into the, the, the chapter previous, he was born of the Spirit when he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. So Jesus is born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and led by the Spirit all within a matter of like six verses here in Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. And where's the first place he ends up? Not the podium, not the platform, not the pulpit, not the performance, he's led to the wilderness <laughs> to be de tempted by the devil. And that temptation was not for Jesus's punishment. That temptation and that event and that meeting was for the devil's punishment. God from heaven said, good, now I've got a man born of the spirit, filled with the spirit and led by the spirit. I got just the man I need to go to overthrow and take down and defeat the enemy once and for all. Now I've got a man that can go in there and won't succumb to and submit to and follow up under the submission of the devil. I've got one born of the spirit, filled by my spirit and led by my spirit. And now that man is going to show him who's boss. Guys, he sent him to do battle. You think that 40 day wilderness journey was, was a cakewalk? No, that was a battle. That was war. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the Messiah, born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and led by the Spirit, faces the devil one-on-one, -on -one, the God and the ruler of this world. And the only way that he received uh, the, uh, the ability to operate in the earth as he is is because Adam and Eve rightfully and voluntarily handed over the authority, and the power to rule in this earth. That's the only reason he was in that place in the first place. It's the only reason he had the authority that he had been operating with since Genesis chapter 3. I want to remind you that Jesus did not do what he did 
because he was Jesus. Jesus' Jesus's ministry was not marked by, I'm God, I'm coming down here to show you guys what you can't do. I'm coming down here to do what you guys can't do. No, Jesus came down to model for you a life that you and I were expected to walk in and live in from the moment he ascended to heaven and on. And his first assignment was to go in and take down Satan. He's not hiding out. He's not, I'm hoping he don't find me. I mean, just lay low. He comes up out of that water, born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and led by the Spirit, and says, all right, where's he at? Where's that? Where, where's the accuser of the brethren at? Where, where's the one that's been deceiving all these people? Where's the one that's been bringing all this destruction? Where, where's the one that's been instituting all this rebellion against the kingdom of God? Where is he? And three, time, three times he's tempted. That's recorded. Three times he's tempted by the devil. And each time he what? He comes at him with the word. It is written. It is written. It is written. Because if you're going into a battle without the word of God, forget about it. You've just left your sword at home. <laughs> You've just left your weapon of choice at home. No, you had. he had the word of God. We know he goes in. Uh, at the uh, end of the temptations, it actually says uh, in verse 14, no, 13, it says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Meaning the work's not done. There's still more to do. Jesus could have finished him off right there. But you know what he chose to do? He chose to develop and build a ministry for the next three and a half years of training learners and followers to do what he just did in the wilderness. He could have finished the devil off right there. And he said, wait, there's more work to do. I need to go train some more people to do what I just did. To war the enemy and win to war the enemy and overcome, to withstand the enemy because he's coming. He's going to keep bringing lies. He's going to keep bringing deceit. He's going to keep trying to bring sickness and disease. He's going to keep trying to bring this uh, destruction and this darkness in this land. I need more people that can do what I just did. Jesus did not come to this earth to show us what he could do. Jesus came to this planet to show us what you can do, what we can do. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not four books for us just to sit back and applaud and say, oh, wow, isn't God good? Man, wasn't Jesus such a great human being? Look at how powerful he was. It was a lesson in warring over the enemy and winning every single time. Jesus never lost. Never lost. Until he sacrificially laid his life down overcome 
overcoming. Well, this is what Jesus says after he comes back from the wilderness in verse 16. Well, let's keep on going there in verse 14. Verse 14, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. That's the fifth, that's the fourth one. Born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and then number four, operating in the power of the Spirit. There's no such thing as operating in the Holy Spirit without power. There is no powerless Holy Spirit. Y'all with me? There is no powerless Holy Spirit. He is powerful. He is the Spirit of God. He is God in the earth with every capacity that God has. He's not a lower than, a subclass. He's not God 2.0. He is God. I said he is God. So, Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region. It's amazing when you start operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, who finds out and how quickly the word gets out. You won't need to promote it. You won't need to put it on Instagram. You won't need to uh, buy you know, airtime. You won't need to advertise. The Holy Spirit will advertise for you. Word of him begins going out through all the land. You start looking different. You start responding to things differently. You start sounding different. You know, at the end of this passage, we know he, he's about to get up and read out of the book of Isaiah a passage they've heard many times before. He's about to get up in the synagogue, as was his custom. Means that this is a regular occurrence. But if you go down to the very end, it says that the people were astonished and amazed at the authority with which he spoke and ministered these words. You could be reading, singing, saying the same thing everybody else is, but with authority and power behind it, it sure sounds a lot different. It attracts something. Amen. It says he taught in their synagogue, being glorified by all. Verse 16 says, so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord, everyone say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is what a born of, filled with, led by, power of, Holy Spirit person looks like. You literally show up to undo everything that the enemy has been doing since Genesis chapter 3. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to sound 
like a great preacher. No. Jesus tells his disciples, these works that I've done, you will do. You will do. You know how many Christians have a problem with John 14, verse 12? And these works that I've done, you will do, and even greater. I love how Jesus just won't go, go. I know you're going to struggle with the, the works that I've done, you will do. I'm just going to go ahead and step it up, and even greater works. That's the exceedingly abundantly mentality of Jesus, isn't it? You think it's hard enough just doing the works I did? You're actually going to be expected to do even greater works than I did. <laughs> I just wonder sometimes, what, would, what does a church look like that believes that verse wholeheartedly? What does that church look like? What does that church sound like? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You seeing the connection yet? Born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, operating in the power of the Spirit. And then he goes and he says, guys, the Spirit of the Lord. He says, y'all have been wearing yourself out for all this time since Genesis chapter 3, trying to war out of natural measures alone. It's the Spirit. You know, there were people in the Bible that literally said, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be sent on that mission. I don't want to walk into that issue unless your Spirit goes with me. There was such a premium placed upon the Spirit of God. David even said, man, even if I'm in the bowels of hell, I know your spirit's with me. As long as your spirit's with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I walk through the valley. Knowing I'm going to come out on the other side. Not because of what, but because of who is with me. You know, the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the primary role is, is in your life to constantly remind you God is with you. He's in our lives to constantly remind you, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Jesus said, I will send to you another comforter and he will be with you until I return. And he will not abandon you. He will not leave you an orphan. He will not leave you or forsake you. We should be more aware of God's presence with us than the enemy against us. But our awareness is directly tied to our attention. What you give attention to determines what you become aware of. And we have become aware of the wrong things. We've, we've given attention to the wrong things. We've focused on the wrong things. This is why Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, set your mind on things above, not on things below. 
What does a church fully yielded to the Holy Spirit look like? What is a church full of the uh, born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and operating in the power of the Holy Spirit? What does that church look like? I think that we'll be pushing back darkness. I think that we will be setting space between us and the enemy. Where it's not always toe-to-toe. But that we'll fully recognize who we are, whose we are, what we have, who's against us. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Come on. Who do you think that he that is in us is? It's not Jesus. Well, I asked Jesus into my heart. No, you didn't. That's what we told you as a kid. (laughs) But you didn't. You received the Holy Spirit. I said you received the Holy, you received the Spirit of God. You received, guys, something even better. I get one amen off of that. I get one amen that the Holy Spirit in you is better than Jesus returning to this earth as one person. That's because you don't know who you are and you don't know what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We, don't, we, 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 think, we think life would be better if the physical man of Jesus returned to this earth. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. Because the only one that gets gratification out of that kind of thinking is the devil. Oh, they're just waiting on one man to come back and do all this? I got this. That's easy. I'm trying to help us get the glory back in the church. I'm trying to help us get the power back in the church. I'm helping us, I'm trying to help us get the assignment back to the church. That the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's you and I. That's not some other entity out there. If you and I aren't pushing back darkness, no one is. And the day is drawing near that if we're not bringing a solution, we're actually contributing to the problem. If we're not providing answers, we're just encouraging the questions. No, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. Look at this. Let's just break it down. To preach the gospel to the poor. What do you think that gospel is going to do? Just comfort them and everything's going to be okay? It's going to undo their situation. They're not going to remain poor. And we're not just talking financially, although the Spirit of God will help you with that. We're talking in life, destitute, run out, deficient, living at a deficit all the time, in your soul, in your mentality. All the mental issues happening in this world, I'll give you one answer, the Word of God. I said the word of God. Pushing back darkness. There are people that are living at a deficit in their soul. 
living at a deficit in their mentality, living at a deficit in their homes, living at a deficit in their purpose. That's being poor. And he says, we're going to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. We're going to undo that deficit. Next one, he says, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You know, I've heard, I don't know if if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. I'd be a millionaire by now if you gave me a dime for every time I've heard of someone that has church hurt. And we're supposed to be healing, not hurting. I'm not saying those things aren't real, but the church needs to be more identified with recovery. The church needs to be more identified with mending, not separating. The church needs to be more identified with restoring, not rebuking. Come on. The the church needs to be more identified. Healing the brokenhearted. Next one, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Because I'm telling you right now, deliverance is nothing hard for God. And God's deliverance and God's salvation and God's saving capacity will do, should do, far more than a 12-step plan. Come on. A few counseling sessions. Medicating and drugging. Come on, guys. I got any in agreement this morning. Give me an amen. Shout me down. I know I'm not the only one that believes this. But it shows you the, the, the gap. It shows you the space. Now, I've got to work to convince you that we should be undoing these things because so many in the church are dealing with these things. No, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me to undo the works of the devil. Next one, recovery of sight to the blind, not just physically. Because being blind in spirit is way worse than being blind in the natural. They can take away your sight, but they can't take away your vision. Come on. Sight is a measure of the eyes, but vision is a measure of the heart. And he's come to restore sight. Restore that vision to those that have become spiritually blind. We should be the most vision-full, vision-led people on the face of the planet. That breeds faith. That breeds faith. But when we have a people that are led by sight, led by how things are, led by the way things are going, you're not, a, you're not a solution to the problem. We got to capitalize on the moment that we have right now. You hear us champion it and, 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 and cheerlead and challenge you all the time that God has saved his best for last. That God put you on the planet for such a time as this. This is our moment. This is our moment. But a a church that desires to escape will never be a church that breathes. If heaven for us is nothing more than a place to escape to, then we will never bring it. 
I can't bring heaven if my sole focus is getting to heaven. I'm thankful I'm going to be there with the Lord one day. But even more grateful that I have access, keys of the kingdom, to bind and loose and to bring heaven to earth. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, one thing that I have found out is if you don't understand the kingdom, the Bible doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. The reason why so many people are confused when they read their Bible and stuff doesn't make sense is because they're reading it like, a, like, like, like they live in a democratic republic. Americanized thinking will always butt up against things in the word. But man, when you start to understand the kingdom, it's amazing what comes alive. It's amazing what you start to see. It's amazing stuff that makes sense all of a sudden. Amen. He says, recovery of sight to the blind. That's getting our vision back. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. So look who's relying on us. To be born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed are waiting on you. And we are waiting on him. And God is waiting on us. Y'all see the problem? There's a lot of waiting. It's like we're all sitting at a four-way stop. You, you, you go, you, you go, no, me, me, uh, no, you. <laughs> We're all waiting on the next person to solve it. All waiting on the next person to figure out. I'm giving you a green light this morning. I said, you've got a green light this morning. It's time for us to make our move. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, the oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What's that mean? Now's the time. Now's the time. We're not waiting. Guys, it's not working. If the essence of our mission and our message is when you die, do you know where you would go? They don't care. They're not thinking about that. They're not asking that question. Y'all remember when Pastor Roddy was here for Kingdom Rise? He said they were going door to door, and the guy's like, I got the Saints game on, man. I, I haven't even thought about that. I'm watching the Cowboys. Would you, you hurry up? You got any more to this? But you know what? They're still captive. They're blind. They're oppressed. They're poor. They're brokenhearted. Now. Now's the time, he says. Now is the time the acceptable year of the Lord. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It's time. Say that with me. Say it's time. It's been time. It's been time. A distracted church is a defeated church. But it's time to get our focus and our attention back on the things 
that you and I were designed to do. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 confirms what we just read in Luke chapter 4, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. With the Holy Spirit and with power. With the Holy Spirit and with power. And went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What does that say? That God, that that Jesus was going around undoing everything that the devil had done. He's walking into every sector of society. I just was reading in uh, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus calls the disciples, and it says that he called a man named Levi. You know him as Matthew, a tax collector. And you know what the very next verse says? And many tax collectors and sinners came and followed him. That's interesting to me. Jesus assigned what he desired to attract. He said, if I want to reach the tax collectors, I need a tax collector. If I want to reach the fishermen, I need a fisherman. If I want to reach this, I need that. If I want to reach, what was he doing? He was using one man as a way to get to a whole community. This was Jesus' mindset. This was Jesus' life, was people and delivering. Not one time did Jesus talk about the cross as a message and as the, the gospel. Not one time did he preach being born again and salvation. You know what he preached? He preached a kingdom that is coming to overthrow and undo everything that this planet tells you you and I have to just put up with. He's going about undoing everything that the devil was doing. Jesus never entered one destructive situation without a redemptive solution. Not one time. Is redemption on your mind? Is redemption on your heart? Redeeming the schools? Redeeming the government? Redeeming the problems? Redeeming the races? Redeeming the struggles? Is redemption on our mind? Or is it just complaining, grieving, criticizing, critiquing, calling out? You know, if we can call it out, then we can speak it over. I said, if we can call it out, come on, the next time you find yourself calling something out, I can't believe, and start speaking life over that thing. Because your words have power. You can start declaring rather than complaining. You can start proclaiming. Proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. Every time you drive by that school, you declare. Every time you drive by that business, you declare. Every time you drive by that strip club, you declare. Every time you drive by that drug house, you declare. Come on. I can't believe they put that store there. Then use your words and declare and proclaim the gospel, proclaim the message of the kingdom, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. See, we don't even think that way. This is why Paul wrote, do not be conformed 
to the world. You know, what's interesting is even the things that we don't buy into, we still conform to the world by responding the way the world responds. Come on. There's plenty to complain about. There's plenty to mock. There's plenty to laugh about. There's plenty to laugh at. There's plenty to cry about. There's plenty to be sad about. There's plenty to be angry about. Yeah, it infuriates you. It, it sets you off. Because righteousness has no part with unrighteousness. But what are the redemptive responses you and I are bringing? I tell you what. Your responses look a lot different when you're born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and operating in the power of the Spirit. And quit leaving it to ministers to be the answer. Well, pastor so-and-so, you need to go see my pastor. You need to talk to my pastor. No, they need to talk to you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you, for he has anointed you. I said, for he has anointed you. They don't need to talk to me. They need to get in church. You ever met someone be like, you need Jesus. <laughs> you, you need some Jesus in your life. That's you. I said, that's you. I'm not Jesus. You're the body of Christ. You're Jesus in the earth. You're Jesus. You're doing the works of Jesus. These works that I've done, you will do, and even greater works. Okay. The Amplified, it reads this way, how God anointed and consecrated Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with strength and ability and power. Look at that. Everything you've been searching for will, will show up when you get anointed and filled with the Spirit of God. The strength will come, the ability will come, the power will come. How he went about doing good and in particular, curing all who were harassed and oppressed by the power of the devil, for God was with him. Jesus modeled a life filled with the Spirit. Jesus modeled a life for you and I of what a life full of the Spirit looks like. And he said, I will refuse to handle spiritual issues with natural answers. I will not combat this on a natural level. See, that's how you have a soldier driving nails into your wrists and feet, and you say something like, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's spiritual. That's not natural. Well, he must have been a nice guy. No, it has nothing to do with being nice. It has nothing to do with your demeanor. Jesus was aggressive when he needed to be aggressive. He was compassionate when he needed to be compassionate. He was able to do it all. There was never one time Jesus says, well, that's not really in my character. Uh, you know, that's, that's not really my, my type. I'm an I'm a Enneagram 2. I'm, I'm not really a... Some of y'all need to start relying on the Holy Spirit to make up the deficiencies that your character 
can't make up for. And stop excusing your Enneagrams and your types and, well, that's not really my personality and I don't know if I like confrontation. I don't know if I... The Holy Spirit will make you what you're not. Hello? John chapter 16. John chapter 16 and verse 5. Uh, actually, let's skip that. Let's go to uh, Colossians chapter 2. We'll come back to John 16. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Having disarmed. Everyone say disarmed. Disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them. That sounds like an embarrassment. That doesn't sound like we barely came back in the last six seconds. That's the absolute blowout at halftime I was talking about. You should have never showed up on the field. Come on. That's the, what are you doing at this fight? How do you think David was able to talk to Goliath the way he did? Because he knew the one who's for me is greater than what stands against me. That's how he knew. I've heard preachers today in honor of relevance and, you know, you know he was shaking in his boots. But, but no, he wasn't. You know what courage is? Courage is, 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 is it being brave enough to go against it in the midst of fear, in the midst of a fearful situation. But I'm telling you something right now, by the spirit of the Lord that was upon him, he didn't go after Goliath. I'm telling you, this is what killed Goliath, David's words. That fight was over before it started. You come at me, with the sword and the spear, but I come at you in what? The name of the Lord of hosts. And he told him, go back and read it. He told him this day, this day, I will take your head off and I'll feed your body to the fowls of the air. You go read it. He told him. His words killed him. The sword of the spirit killed him ever way before. I mean, you're going to kill a giant with a slingshot and a rock? Come on. His words defeated way before they ever showed up on the battlefield. This is what it looks like to get somebody filled with the spirit, operating in the power of the spirit. And you can do this too. They're not Bible stories. I said, they're not Bible stories. Imagine if we talked about actual historical facts in any other arena of life the way we talk about Bible stories. Why is it when we tell our kids a story of David and Goliath, it's more of like a a, a superhero comic than an actual event that took place in history at an actual location. You could go visit it today. This stuff is ingrained in us from childhood that they did it, but you can't. Oh, come on. Come on. There is no junior Holy Spirit. 
The same Holy Spirit that lives in Jesus, that raised Christ from the dead, lives in you and lives in your children. It is the solution. And for so long now, we have dismissed any kind of spiritual response and any kind of spiritual message or any kind of spiritual uh, answer to things. And, well, that, you know, that's not really enough. Now, you don't believe it's enough, and that's why it's not enough. It's actually more than enough. It's more than enough. Well, I need your prayers, but I really need counseling. Now, you need some demons cast off of your life. You need some spiritual principalities and powers to be lifted off. And guess what? The Spirit of the Lord has appointed me, anointed me, to set at liberty the captives. You captive? I can set you at liberty. Let's go right now. What you got? But not enough Christians believe this way, think this way, live this way. That's why you need a renewing of the mind so you can be transformed in your life. The Amplified reads, verse 15, God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them in him and in it, the cross. The voice translation reads, he disarmed those who once ruled over us, those who had overpowered us like captives of war. He put them on display to the world to show his victory and over them by means of the cross. The Passion Translation says, Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. To destroy the devil's works. Stand up with me. Worship team, go ahead and come up. Born of the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. Led. Oh, if we had a people led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God wants to, you are the target of the Holy Spirit. I said, you are the target of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came for the world but the Holy Spirit came for the church. And something happened in that upper room. Something happened in Acts chapter 2. Something happened when they all came in one accord. It's time to stop being fearful of the Holy Spirit. It's time to stop with the glancing and the looking and what does it mean to have a move of the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit? You know what it means? It means that you become useful for the kingdom of God once again. It means that you bring answers 
and solutions rather than contributing to the problem. It means that we fulfill the assignment of restoring the kingdom to earth. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, of course, there's the initial occurrence. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit first came upon the church, that first moment, they're all in one accord. They don't even know what they're waiting for. No one told them. They didn't get to watch it on TBN, or they didn't read a book about it. They didn't see some kind of revival. They just knew we were told to wait. We're told to wait, not don't take a step further. Why? Why didn't Jesus say, all right, I'm going to heaven, get busy. He said, before you go and do, I need you to come and get. Before you go and do, I need you to come and get something. Because the coming and the getting will empower the going and the doing, the healing and the touching, the speaking and the delivering. The church for too long has been doing this without the filling and infilling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in that initial moment and we know that they even began to speak in other tongues, began to praise God in other tongues, began to pray in other tongues. You receive a heavenly language. Begin to pray in an unknown tongue. Not unknown in the sense that you're making it up. Unknown in the sense it's beyond your natural comprehension. Beyond your ability to know. But then we recognize this. Two chapters later, in Acts chapter 4, after they had already gone through some persecution for the sake of righteousness, already gone through some persecution because they were undoing the works of the devil. You know, you start undoing his works. He's not going to stop. That's why you need to withstand. You're not going to heal one person. The devil's going to be like, all right, I lost them. I'll move on to the next. He's going to keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. But for the disciples and the apostles, being filled with the spirit was not a one-time thing. Ephesians chapter 5 says it this way. Do not be drunk with wine. Which leads to reckless living. But be filled by the Spirit. And if you look that up in the Greek, it actually says this. Be being filled. Meaning, there's a continual feeling. It's not a one-time event. I got filled, now I can go about my business. Man, for some of us, that one-time event wore off by the next Sunday. No, this was an expectation. You will be continually filled with my spirit, continually refreshed by my spirit, continually stirred up in the spirit. Keep your eyes on heaven. Keep your eyes not on things on the earth, not on things below, not on things of the natural, but on things of heavenly kingdom perspectives by being filled with the spirit. You know when you get drained in the spirit. You know it. You know it when the news has sucked it right out of you. You know it when the destruction is draining it out of you. 
You know when you're depleted. You know when you're deficient. Your words change. Your attitude change. Your behavior change. Your belief changes. Your hope changes. But in the same manner, when you get filled with the Spirit, He changes all that too. All of a sudden, my language changes. Not just from English to an unknown tongue, but I start speaking words of hope. I start speaking words of faith. I start speaking words of life. I start seeing the good, not the bad. I start believing once again. I start living once again. My attitude changes. My response changes. My faith changes. My life changes by being filled with the Spirit. And the devil's lied to us and told us salvation was good enough. You don't need anything else. Salvation gets you to heaven. But being filled with the Spirit allows you to bring heaven. Do we have a church that's not just looking for heaven as a place to go, but a place to bring? Do we have a church that's saying, your will on earth, not my will, your kingdom come, your will be done. We need people filled with the Spirit, anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.